Here, our country commemorates past wars on Remembrance Day. Have you ever attended such a commemoration? If you haven't, have you ever taken a moment to reflect on the price paid for our freedom? The list of people from our town in Carmen, and undoubtedly here in Winnipeg as well, the list of people who died in World Wars I and II is a long one. It's a solemn reminder that those wars were very real and close to home for Canadians as well as for people overseas. And violence is not a thing of the past. Wars have continued to take place, especially in the Middle East. Enemies of freedom are not necessarily far away either. They can lurk among the citizens of countries in Europe, but also in North America. And from time to time, we receive very forceful reminders that peace can't be taken for granted. Terrorist attacks take place, leading to many injuries and deaths. Our text reminds us that another war is going on. And you can't define who the enemy is in terms of race, nationality, or language. Our text points to a spiritual war, one that has been going on since paradise. It requires spiritual discernment to see this. Our God has laid his claim on our lives. He has made us members of his people. And through the Apostle Paul, he instructs us to understand our task, to fight the good fight of the faith. And he also equips us for spiritual battle, providing us with armor. It consists of various parts. Each part is necessary. And that's why we are called to take up the whole armor of God. Let's now focus on what Paul calls the shield of faith. And so we come to the theme for this afternoon. The shield of faith is an essential part of the Christian armor. We'll focus on two points. Take it up, and secondly, use it well. The shield of faith is an essential part of the Christian armor. Take it up and use it well. The Apostle has already spoken of various items of spiritual equipment that we need as Christians. Look at the verses 14 to 15. We discussed that this morning, where Paul refers to the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes for your feet. And Paul then moves on in verse 16 to refer to the shield of faith. This is something that we need in all circumstances, or as other Greek manuscripts put it, above all. In other words, this is not an optional item in our struggles. The shield of faith is essential. Soldiers used two kinds of shields in those days. One was relatively small, light, and circular. 
The word that Paul uses, however, refers to a different kind of shield. Think of the shield of a Roman soldier. It was long and rectangular, shaped something like a door, curving inwards along the edges. It was about four feet high and two and a half feet wide, good for protecting the body. Layers of wood were covered with leather. The shield could also be made of several layers of hide. There could be a metal boss shaped something like a bowl in the middle of the shield that could be used for punching in close combat. Metal edging could reinforce the shield, giving it extra strength. Our text commands us to take up the shield of faith. What does the word faith mean in this context? Are we talking about the act of believing? Some commentators think so. In some Bible passages, the word faith does refer to the act of believing. Just think of Hebrews 11 verse 1, where we read that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the words assurance and conviction refer to faith as something in a person's heart. People feel assured, convinced of things that God has revealed to them. That assurance, that conviction helps them in their struggles. We call this faith in the subjective sense of the word. The word faith can, however, also be used in an objective way. Then it refers to the revelation of God's truth itself. The Apostle Paul uses it like this a number of times in his letters. The closest example would be in Ephesians 4 verse 5, where Paul refers to us having one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The word faith there refers to what we believe, not the act of believing. Similarly, in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, Paul writes, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Again, he is using the word faith to refer to biblical teaching. And the expression depart from the faith goes together with embracing teachings of demons. In Colossians 2, verse 7, Paul talks about being established in the faith. There he's referring to biblical doctrine, the teachings of Scripture. Being established in those doctrines means knowing them, and in this way, being able to stand firm. This is how we should understand the word faith in our text. Paul uses it with the definite article in Greek. In other words, you could translate it literally as the shield of the faith. And that helps us to understand how Paul can give the command to take up the shield of faith. It's a word picture that refers to taking hold of the truths of Scripture to defend ourselves. We don't need to belabor the distinction between faith the act of believing and faith as referring to what we believe. The two are closely connected. 
But keep in mind that faith as the act of believing can only be strong if it is based on God's self-revelation in Scripture. When we embrace God's Word as true, the assurance of faith follows as its fruit. Derive peace and strength from the promises of God. The promise of salvation through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gives us special strength. It teaches us that our salvation doesn't depend on ourselves and on our efforts. The Bible makes it very clear that we can't save ourselves. As Paul writes in Romans 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Take that seriously. Our salvation depends on the grace of God revealed through Jesus Christ. And trusting in him as our Savior, we enter into a relationship of peace with God. This is how we receive life, eternal life in fellowship with God. And God proclaims this to us in his word. This word gives content to our faith. That's the shield you need in your struggles in life. Take up the shield of faith. This is a call to obedience. If you don't take up the shield of faith, it will be that much easier for the devil to get at you with flaming darts. So how can we obey the command of our text? Be convinced of the importance of taking up the shield of faith. Embrace the whole Bible as the revealed and authoritative word of God. The truths of Scripture are meant for us to live in close fellowship with God. Do you confess with your mouth that God is our creator? Then entrust yourself to his care. He is able to provide you with what you need. Believe that he knows what is best for you and is able to turn everything to your good. You may not see that right now, but he calls you to trust in his promises. Acknowledge his right to govern your life and to do what he deems is best for you. Our Heavenly Father opens up his heart to us. He proclaims grace and unending love for all who turn to him. Learn to delight in his love. Praise him for who he is and what he does for us in Jesus Christ. Do you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, your Savior and Lord? This, too, will become visible in your life as you let the word of God about him impact and transform your heart. Trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Surrender to him as your Lord. Take up your cross, whatever that may be, denying yourself to follow him. Why? Because you love him who loved you enough to die on the cross to atone for your sins. 
Do you believe in the Holy Spirit as the divine person who proceeds from the Father and the Son? Then as the Apostle Paul puts it in Galatians 5 verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. How can you keep in step with the Spirit? You do that by listening to and responding to the Word of God by means of which the Spirit gives us life and directs us. As it says in Psalm 119, verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When you let the word of God function in this way in your life, you have indeed taken up the shield of faith. Then the word of God is more than just something to discuss. It's something to live from and to live by. It connects you to God and to Jesus Christ, your Savior. It enables you to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And then you will experience what salvation by grace alone is all about. Taking up the shield of faith isn't something we do on our own. <clears throat> we do it together. We need each other in this spiritual struggle. Think of how the Roman soldiers used their shields. Those shields were for individual protection, but they could also be used for group protection. Soldiers could join their shields together, holding them above their heads, forming what was called a testudo, or tortoise. And this could protect them against showers of arrows coming down from above as well as from the front. In this way, they could advance against their enemy in relative safety. In a spiritual sense, this also applies to us. We know what we believe. This is the faith that we hold in common. It's based on the Word of God. What we believe is summarized in the three forms of unity. Those are the Belgian Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort. Those summaries point us back to Scripture, and they remind us of what we believe and help us to hold on to the Word of God in this world. We join together in our struggles in order to strengthen each other and protect each other. As the saying goes, united we stand, divided we fall. By ourselves, we are vulnerable. But when we stand together, taking up the shield of faith, we stand strong in the strength that the Lord gives us. So be on guard against any ideas or any behavior that could undermine our unity in the Lord. The shield of faith is an essential part of the Christian armor. Take it up, but also use it well. This is our second point. Take up the shield of faith. And this involves putting what God has revealed to us about himself and his will into practice. Do this consistently in the varying circumstances of your lives. 
Beloved, we are in a spiritual battle. Ultimately, it's not a battle against flesh and blood. It's a battle against the devil and all the powers that he tries to marshal against us. His attacks are constant. He's always on the lookout to find a chink in our armor or an unguarded moment. He wants to wound and, if possible, to kill us. Our text describes his efforts and how to ward them off. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In battle, enemies fired off arrows tipped with flammable material at soldiers to make their shields catch fire. This would cause them to drop the shield, making them vulnerable to attack. However, the leather covering the shield could be made wet. Then it would not catch fire. It would still provide protection against flaming arrows. The evil one is the devil. Our text highlights his intentions. They are full of evil, wickedness. He is quick to shoot flaming darts or arrows at us. And he does this indirectly through people but also directly. And what are such darts? Think of temptations. They come our way in different forms on a regular basis, don't they? Sometimes people can become instruments of temptation. Peer pressure, for example, can cause someone to do sinful things. But temptations can also arise in the form of wicked thoughts. You wonder where those thoughts came from and perhaps feel guilty. Sinful desires can arise within our hearts because of our fallen nature. But remember that the devil can also fire flaming darts or arrows at us. These can come in the form of evil thoughts that enter our minds from outside of us. And where do they come from? Perhaps from news media? if you devote time to that. Other people get influenced by music, in particular when the lyrics are wicked. Sinful thoughts can also be, be communicated or stimulated through the internet. Jesus was perfect. That didn't stop the devil from firing sinful suggestions at him. And the same can happen to us. How did our Savior deal with this? He took up the shield of faith and used it very effectively against the temptations of the devil. Matthew writes about it in chapter 4 of his account of the gospel. We read in the opening verses that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And there we see how our Savior protected himself from the temptation of the devil. He didn't simply say, I believe you are wrong. 
He used the Word of God itself as an objective standard outside of himself. It is written. He obviously memorized important passages from the Word of God. That was his shield. He used it to make sure that the devil could not hit him with flaming darts. Those darts were sinful suggestions that were misquotations from the Word of God. Each flaming arrow bounced off of that shield and fizzled out because Jesus compared Scripture with Scripture to determine how to respond. His final word to the devil was, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And Matthew writes in conclusion, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Do what our Savior did. Use the shield of faith. To use that shield effectively, you need to be familiar with the Word of God. If certain temptations are persistent, memorize applicable Scripture verses. That's what Jesus did. He is teaching us by example to do the same. When you feel tempted or harassed in other ways by the devil, recite Bible verses to shield yourself. Another way in which the devil can fire off flaming darts at us is through words that people speak. There's a saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Ever heard of it? Well, it's not true at all. Have you never been hurt by words? Have you never hurt someone? Parents can say unwise things that haunt children for the rest of their life. The opposite can happen as well. Children sometimes really hurt their parents by saying things that deeply wound them. Siblings are also able to hurt each other because they know each other's weak spots. Spouses can shout, scream, or hiss very unloving words at each other. The emotional damage can be devastating. Brothers and sisters in the church can make life downright miserable for each other. Students at school can use words to humiliate, ridicule, and isolate each other. We call that bullying. It can plunge young people into depression, self-harm, and even suicide. Don't you see the devil at work in such circumstances? How can you defend yourself against such flaming darts? Only by using the shield of faith. When people try to get you down with words, let the Word of God build you up. Shield yourself by using the promises of salvation. Know that as a child of God, you are precious in His sight. You are not perfect, but you have a perfect Savior. Trust that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you. His shed blood guarantees the forgiveness of sins and future perfection and glory for all who believe in Him. 
Our sins and sinfulness will be done away with forever. Isn't that something to look forward to? The devil can also direct flaming darts or arrows at us by sowing seeds of doubts. For example, things happen that upset us deeply. Have you ever wondered why God, who is good, can allow this? Have you felt doubts about his goodness arise in your heart? How can you deal with this? Use the shield of faith to ward off negative thoughts about God. Remember the clear teaching of the Bible that God is not the author of sin. Don't blame him for what the devil and sinful people do. Remember the words of 1 John 1 verse 5. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Trust that his good plans will prevail even when the devil and wicked people seem to have the upper hand. Didn't our God show this when lawless men laid their hands on Jesus Christ and crucified him? They were responsible for what they did. The Apostle Peter makes a point of stressing this when he addresses the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And nevertheless, he also made it clear that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ took place according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This does not make God the author of wickedness. Instead, it shows us that even when terrible things happen, God is not caught by surprise. He is almighty and infinitely wise. He is able to make terrible events and wicked deeds ultimately work for the good of his people. The devil can also use false teachers to make war against God's people. Sometimes they introduce wrong doctrines in a very subtle way. Someone might quote a Bible text in a way that undermines another part of Scripture. The only way to protect yourself against such attacks is to know your Bible well and to use it effectively. The Bible forms a unity. You can recognize false teaching when it contradicts what is taught clearly elsewhere in Scripture. The Holy Spirit, who is the ultimate author of Scripture, does not contradict himself. The devil can also use persecution to intimidate God's people. The Jews in Egypt certainly knew about this. They labored as slaves under the hard taskmasters of Pharaoh. In Hebrews 11, the verses 24 to 25, we read that, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Consider the choice that Moses faced. The temptation was to enjoy the privilege of being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And in the process to enjoy the fleeting, that means the passing, pleasures of sin. The alternative was to reject this privilege and to face persecution. The devil uses what can be called the carrot and stick approach more often. 
Think of someone trying to get a mule to move forward. The carrot could be dangled in front of the mule while the stick could be used from behind. In the case of Moses, the fleeting pleasures of sin would be the carrot. And the stick would be the threat of mistreatment if he would align himself with God's people. That would be the flaming dart of the evil one. Moses rejected the carrot and didn't let the prospect of persecution get in the way of obeying God. When, When are you going to do, what are you going to do if it seems tempting to give in to sin and if obeying God might seem very difficult and even have painful consequences for you? Whatever fiery darts may come your way from the devil, extinguish them with the shield of faith. Let the word of God remind you of who he is and who you are. Embrace his promises and demands, entrusting yourself to him as a child of God. That's the way to ward off the flaming darts and arrows of the devil. Think of what the Apostle John has written in 1 John 2, verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Their strength was directly linked to the word of God abiding in them. That word enabled them to gain the victory over the devil. You can use the Word of God in the same way. Be on guard against the attacks of the devil. Take up the shield of faith. It is given to you so that you will be able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How comforting this assurance of our text is. Take it to heart and work with it. Amen.